0: Questions, comments, rants.
1: Mm -hmm. I would appreciate some guidance on um, how to remember and recognize present moment's experience in the middle of a dark. night, just before the talk about Samadhi, the most substantial experience I had of solid mind—it was a total surprise to me. And I put up a bunch of "do not disturb" signs and told my mind not to let anything in. But it, it actually turned out that by not doing anything, it just stayed there, was we'll stable. Hmm. Then it came to the Dharma talk, and the first couple of points. Were, we're kind of, I uh, forget exact phrase, something like, uh, and maybe even early on the experience, a flash of freedom or a, huh. a, a spark of um, some money. Mm-hmm. And I had a deep ascent to that. I think that's kind of what happens, great encouragement. Then mm-hmm. the second half of the talk came. And I was quickly, quickly out of my labor grade out of here. Labor grade. I mean, yeah. the, the experiences, the concepts, they um, really scramble for me. So I was whipping back and forth between, you know, my head blowing off with you know, sevens and threes and fours and fives, just like alphabet soup. All kinds of stuff happening. And the other end of it was lights out, I'm going to sit here, but, you know, so I I put down my pen, which is one of the ways I you track those, those yeah. things, and then I just tried to find a middle way, kind of, but I, suddenly my mind wasn't so solid anymore, but, uh, anyway. yeah, so, some, some guidance about how to be in those moments and make that part of the practice. Yeah, you.
0: yeah. So the question is about really how to how to listen to talks, you know, and and still keep your practice going, right? Mm-hmm. So much, and uh, it's a good question, partly because you know some you know sometimes when the talk rolls around, you're in a space where your mind is not doing a lot of conceptual work, and you hear a talk, and it's all about conceptual. I mean. It's all concepts. And so sometimes it can be a little jarring, as it seems like it was for you, where you're in this space of you know, some good samadhi and some stillness and recognition of just what's going on, and just you're just out of the way and letting it happen. And then this guy comes in and sits at the front of the room and starts yabbering away with the five of this and four of that, and three of these, and you're taking notes, and suddenly you're... you're you're at a head jam that's just like what's this all about yeah I remember that <laughs> <laughs> I do offer a lot of I do offer a lot, a lot of information in the, in the talks to try to help frame you know or reframe your experiences so that you can have some understanding or confidence in, in practice but as a, as a as an experience sometimes the talks are a little challenging to kind of take in. I remember um, initially when I first started practice, one of the teachers that I practiced with in, in, the, in Massachusetts, he was very clear, he said, you know, just just listen to the talk, you know, when you come just listen, and if anything, anything in the talk at all strikes you as relevant or important, just okay. You'll, you'll take notice of it. Everything else, don't pay any attention to it. Just, a, I mean, you don't have to try to figure it out or make sense or look for it or, you know, grab it or anything like that. Just, and and often, you know, as he said, there might be just one or two things that come out of the talk that, oh, <coughs> seem to point to or speak to your experience. And I And I found that, I found that helpful. Just like, I didn't have to you know, I was I was new, I didn't know a lot, then I just I didn't have to acquire all of knowledge. I could just take any little bits that supported my practice or seemed to reflect my practice and that was enough. Then when I got to Burma and I was listening to the U Upandita talk, he would give, you know, a series of talks and I would and it was all translated. So I had this I had this habit of sitting with the notebook on my lap when Sayana Upandila was talking in Burmese, which I didn't understand. I was just meditating. And when the translator was talking or was, was translating, what I said, I was writing everything down. And then Upandila started talking and I was... <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of like try to re-ground re, re myself. And so I went like that. And, you know, there's, there's value in learning what's, what the scope of the journey is from a theoretical or from a conceptual place. And there's value in just taking the journey and seeing what it's like. And fortunately or unfortunately, the way these retreats are scheduled or, 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 or formatted is you get a little bit of both. You get some talks, you get some instructions, you get some explanation, and you get a lot of time to practice. So it's not like an either-or. So you have to kind of do your best. Uh, I I, I do think it's probably better, or I say more supportive, to just minimal notes. I mean, take, take some notes if you want to but not try to get everything and learn everything. It's all on tape. You can listen to it later. Or you can find it in a book or something. But just the things that seem to resonate with you and where you are now, today, and you're listening and this is what you're, you know, something rings your bell or reflects something that you've experienced Then just make a note enough to remember it. But that's, I think everybody has to find their own way. Some, some of us are very um, very interested and find it very supportive to have all the knowledge to go along <coughs> with the experience, and some other people not, not so interested, and that's, that's fine too. So, did that sufficiently not answer your question? It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reminds me of how much
1: conditioning I have about the education. Yeah. Am I getting my money? I talk to other students after about it. You get anything that I kind of said? Some of the
0: normal groups I'm going to. Well, we do have, you know, we are we are a pretty educated group here, and you know, we we put a lot of value on this theoretical knowledge piece, and yet the practice is really not about knowledge; it's about wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, discovering within. On the other hand, if you don't have any if you don't have any knowledge, you never hear of the Buddha's teachings just hear, oh do this as practice, you might or might not <laughs> be on the path. You know. It's like you, you have to do some some cross referencing and you know, am I in am I on the right path here? Am I in the ballpark at all? So there's some amount of um, theoretical knowledge. If you if, you know if you don't see the map, you're still on a journey, but you might not get to where you think you're going, or you might mistake where you are for the destination. And, so, and that happens with some regularity.
2: Yeah. Yep. You um, spoke last night about PT and genetic factors with regard to kind of a um, Excuse me, uh, an insight versus a tranquility yeah. perspective, and yeah. and um, and I think you said that when when you enter those states from the state of tranquility, you just become totally absorbed in them. Yeah, is that to say that in that state you would lose um, lose a sense of awareness of those states and just or and in a tranquility yeah. practice, but but in insight, I'm curious how to attend to, pt and sukha when they arise, sure. um, so as to you mentioned how sure. they become conducive
0: Yeah, so I was talking about the five mm-hmm. jhanic factors, the five factors of mind most responsible for collecting, concentrating mm-hmm. the mind. And if you're doing a tranquility practice using a single object like a mantra or loving kindness or something like that, then mm-hmm. When they, when all five factors are aroused and somewhat mature, then you may uh, enter absorption, jhana. Just because the five are there doesn't mean that that's jhana. There's a certain, I call it amplitude. You know, five mm-hmm. things come together, it's like this, but when they come together right, or just in the right combination, there's a magnification of fact. So the jhana is like an amplitude thing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> no, you don't lose consciousness. You don't lose consciousness in jhana. You don't, it's not like you are oblivious. No, 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 no that's, that's, that's not it at all. But without going into the jhana practices and, and experiences there and mm-hmm. how to work with them and all that. It's, I've done that, but what I'm talking about here is more how when those factors arise in vipassana practice, uh, you know, you're just doing you connecting and sustaining, being with the present moment, and gradually the mind gets purer, the, the joy arises, and, and if you don't get too with it, if you don't get too out there with it, you know that you'll recognize the sukha and the one-pointedness too. Then when you're practicing vipassana, of course, and any of those states arise strongly then they become the predominant object that's that's what you're that's what you're now being aware of or you're aware of oh this is this you know when we have a hindrance we investigate that oh, what's the nature of desire well it feels like this in the body it feels like this in the mind these are the kind of thoughts I have and so you're invest- you're, you're spending time with desire to to kind of acquire knowledge about it same thing with uh, Piti. When it arises, you spend time with Piti and you know, oh this is, this is joy, this is ecstasy. Oh this, oh, this is what ecstasy is like. And it's, it feels like this in the mind or the heart, these are the kind of thoughts you have, this is what it feels like in the body, and of course, ecstasy is pretty compelling. You know, and, and we get attached to it. We get, we indulge in it. We want to just be ecstatic rather than be aware of ecstasy. And so the challenge is how to how to sustain the continuity of connecting say sustaining and recognizing and not just getting indulgent. So it becomes the ob- they become the object of um, your awareness and uh, to be investigated and to the extent that you can see them as just another experience being known' it's just it's just ecstasy. Big ecstasy but no. Yeah. This is really pleasant. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which is not easy to do, then eventually you would kind of leave them behind. You would mature. You wouldn't you wouldn't be attached to them or entangled in them. And you would leave the joy, ecstasy, leave the bliss, and and land in strengthening equanimity, growing equanimity, which is the foundation or the platform is the the launching pad mm-hmm. for accessing the unconditioned.
2: So, if that state is arising, like a peaky is arising, <laughs> and you focus on it, but then the mind gets called to an itch or
0: something else. The mind will not get called to an itch. An itch is not more fascinating <laughs> than ecstasy. <laughs> 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 no, but they can arise other other yeah. sensations or sounds in the room or something you know mm-hmm. things can yeah of course you know it, and the momentary noticing of them can you know you can momentarily notice an itch or momentarily notice mm-hmm. a sound or whatever but the, the, the thing about those exalted states of mind is they come with a, a magnified power and they have a lot of tailwind so to speak so even if you just get a a blast, you know, a momentary blast of uh, joy, piti. Then you may feel the residual effects for a half hour or more. You know, so there's a lot of a lot of um, unwinding of those states of mind that takes some time. Which is how you're practicing vipassana. You know, you're just watching the dissolution, the dissolution of those states of mind. And your, your understanding that they are impermanent, not self, and have a dupid characteristic.
3: Um, I'm a little, I'm trying to figure out the best practice for having something arise, uh, like a visitor of the mind, and whether. I should sort of prolong the observation of it or allow the observation awareness to just naturally go between objects as it's aware of
0: them. So the question is about whether to stay with something that initially calls your attention and stay with it for, with some intention, intentionality, or whether to just go with whatever seems to be coming up around that. Is that the Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes when we're called to a you know, a predominant experience, or when the attention is called, automatically drawn to a predominant experience, and we are with it, and we're, we're recognizing, oh, and we're being aware of it, and we're allowing it to do its thing, then often there are uh, Other states of mind or physical experiences conditioned by it or that are uh, complicit with it or connected to it. And so while you have the intention or interest to kind of be with this, let's just take an emotional drama for an example. So, you know, something comes up and you got this emotional drama going on and it's associated with the past, some memory in the past, and you know, when you get into it, you know, you see that memory and you see what was going on or you feel it and you feel this emotion and then you have thoughts about that and then you have other similar experiences of the same emotion but at other times in your life they may come into view and these are conditioning sensations in the body and you go to those sensations, you notice them and you may have a reaction to those sensations in the body and so you watch the reaction of aversion, or desire, frustration with that and... And so you get a um, you get an unwinding or an unlayering uh, or an excavation of this psychophysical knot in the mind. And so you're staying close to it, but it's not just a single thing that you're just staying with. You know, it's like it's it's a dynamic unfolding, moving thing, and it's everything is connected to everything. And it's yeah, it can be. You can you can somewhat lose track of what it is that called your attention in the first place, but you're with it. You're with the unfolding of all the pixels of phenomena that have gone into make this knot, the psychophysical knot in the in the mind. Is that? It?
3: Yeah, um, I, I think two examples that I noticed were uh, if an experience comes up. Well, Sensation and objects are arising just from walking, and uh, I don't know if it's unskillful to not be that aware of my walking as I'm present with what's unfolding.
0: So, in the walking, if you know you're paying attention to the walking and, and whatever, and sometimes what comes up is maybe more compelling than the sensations of walking. You know, it's like a drama. Um, the mind is really fast. Awareness is really fast. And you might just kind of let that be there and, and the mind is rapidly toggling between you know, the experience of walking and your sights and sounds and feeling and, and this emotional thing going on or mental thing going on or chatter going on. Or you can just stop, close your eyes and just spend more exclusive time with what has come up in the mind. Um, either way... Uh, depends on really your interest and you know other conditions going on at the time, but either way is fine.
3: Okay, so they both. I, I wondered if that sort of ADD feeling and skipping words rapidly aware is still providing wisdom, or if I oh, yeah. oh yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. the, <laughs> the A, what'd you call it? ADD. ADHD. Whatever it is. <laughs> uh, this is the natural state mm-hmm. of the mind. <laughs> you know, it's just that when you're able to be mindfully aware of it, it's okay. When you're not, then you know we have medication for that. <laughs> but I mean, I'm being a little bit um, playful, facetious, or, or cynical, or well, I don't know. So something. something—what's going on? Can you hear? Still so, okay. So. Yeah, if you can, you can, um, you know, just watch the rapid unfolding of time, or the, the present moment. And it can, it can span everything. Everything in the mind and every sense door. And you can feel like you're a little bit flooded. You're not really, it doesn't, you don't see a continuity to it. There's no kind of thread, so to speak, other than just stuff happening. And Being known effortlessly, you're just there, kinda watching it all just go by. When that, when that kinda thing is happening, when there's, when there's that, uh, multiplicity of objects, and it's that rapid, and it's not necessarily thematic, it's, you know, it's just random, then I would really check, settle back into just the awareness, rather than being caught or fascinated or even trying to keep up with everything that's being known. Just settle back, excuse me, into the awareness and monitor the continuity and the quality of the awareness so that if it if it gets entangled or gets reactive in any way to anything or to the process, then you'll, no- you'll notice that more than the content of any particular pixel of phenomena that's that's being known. Because to try to keep up with the objects, even to identify them, and to try to follow a thread between them would would slow the process down. So you don't want to slow the process down. You want to just let the process unwind like it does, knowing that you're back here, or uh, there's an awareness that just recognizes. Uh, and what you're recognizing you initially in practice is we're recognizing and becoming familiar with the content of objects. And when when the fast rapid arising and passing away of phenomena happens, you cease being kind of fascinated or needing to learn about the content of the objects, and now you're just watching the process of the mind. The process of the mind's construction of reality and the unfolding and things like that. So not so much content-oriented, but more process aware of the process of the mind functioning.
4: Yeah. Um, I wanted to share an observation that was really helpful to me today, based on something you said yesterday, which was that um, we can use our intention as an object of awareness.
0: Use the intention as mm-hmm. an
4: object. Um, and it's sort of related to that, um, in that my intention is to be aware every moment. Yes. You know, yes. along us. <laughs> yeah. So kind of having permission to, to see that in awareness, um, it comes up a lot because it's my intention a lot, and also it's sort of. Um, has a little bit of the same quality as a thought. Yes. So being able to see, having kind of permission to look at that intention with awareness sort of gave my brain the permission it needed to have thoughts come up in awareness and have them not be so disruptive like, to my continuity of awareness. Yeah. So Good. I was able to be more continuous,
0: yeah. you know, having yeah. That. Yeah, That's great. You know, I, I think when you have a strong intention like that, you know, I really want to, you know, or an aspiration, I really want to be continuous, I want to check, I want to see, you know, it's kind of like, it's not like you have to think in each moment. Notice this, notice this, notice this, but it's just like it's, it's the soup in which, you know, the mind is cooking, so to speak. And then it can be, you can actually... You don't have to keep the intention going, or keep uh, keep it going as a thought. The the process is set in motion, and it'll keep happening. If, and you can actually kind of uh, take your intention and step out of the, the intending to do it, and it'll still happen. It'll just keep going. So uh, it's more like once the <clears throat> once the bicycle is. You know, once you get the flywheel going and you're you're going down the hill, or you're moving along, fine. You don't have to keep <coughs> keep trying. So I didn't hear you say that you were doing that, but just to be just just so you know, you don't have to keep applying the gas when the momentum is already going. Mm-hmm. But you may notice frequently the clarity of the intention to recognize this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, yeah, strong strong aspiration. But the clarity of your aspiration can be one of the means for accomplishing your task. Awakening. Yeah. Chicken. Strong chicken.
5: So, I'm still having some um, confusion around inquiry into the qualities of awareness. And so, today, um, as the mind is collecting a little more, I had an experience of Hearing and just hearing. And when I was doing what I kind of concocted as, like, what does awareness feel like right now, it seemed very, like, a very close to one to one correlation. Just hearing also seemed to capture the flavor of awareness. But when I do get a little more um, cloudy or, or there's a more, um, <coughs> Uh, disturbance or some some noise, uh, I notice that it's typically due to a certain mind state, or something in the body, or something else that I can point to as an object. So I'm wondering how, I I guess, I'm wondering how to pull apart awareness as not an object. Pull apart awareness as something other than an object.
0: A couple of things come to mind. I'm I'm not quite sure I understand everything you said, but let me just say that as we turn to recognize awareness, uh, we're going to have we may have many different perceptions of what awareness is or understanding. We may think, oh, in this case, oh, awareness is like this, and later we could say, oh, no, oh, now, now awareness is like that, and and so we have we don't just have a singular. Perception of awareness. We have, we may have a multiplicity of perceptions. So, with that, we just want to be careful not to keep looking for the same thing, or even not, not expecting the same, to see the same thing, or to recognize the same thing, but to let whatever, whatever perception of awareness arise, but just let that be the way it is. Um. I don't know if I mentioned it here, but when I first heard Saiyata talking about awareness of awareness or mindfulness of mindfulness or mindful of awareness or whatever it is, I was, like many of us, thinking, oh, that's another object. So here's an object being known with awareness. Here's an object being known with awareness. Now, if awareness is going to be aware of itself, it's going to go, (laughs) it's going to turn around and look at itself. And that didn't seem to work. And then it seemed like, well, there's an object, there's awareness of it, and then there's another awareness over here that's aware of that awareness, you know. And that didn't seem to work either. Or it wasn't... It wasn't the accurate description of what seemed to be happening. And then I overheard Siddharth say... Again, kind of in an off-handed way, in one retreat. Oh, awareness of awareness is an understanding; it's not an object. And I go, I get it. Recognizing awareness of awareness is a piece of wisdom. And so, awareness as an object—it's not awareness as an object. It's awareness as an understanding. So to say awareness of awareness, we're not, we can't be aware of awareness like any other object. Sensations or thoughts or feelings. It doesn't work that way. But it's an understanding. Oh, there's awareness and I know there's awareness. There's awareness of awareness. That's an understanding. A piece of wisdom. Or that's a wisdom. That's an understanding. Rather than making it an object like something to be observed that way. Is that thoroughly confusing?
5: No, I, I think it's, it's helping. I I just notice how when I'm paying attention to an object and then I try to ask this question of what's awareness up to right now? What's awareness up to right now? What, what's aware? what's to right now? Like yeah. That's, that's sure. mm-hmm. Um I lose the object. Or the object. Or I, I'm, no, I'm no longer an object. And okay. I think I keep going... What I'm really asking myself, or at least where I'm going to, is the mind state. Like, what is, you know, what's what's the flavor of my attitude and all that stuff. Yeah. So, and I guess your talk tonight is on wisdom, but I'm thoroughly confused on that. On on, yeah, how awareness is not like. What is it that I'm really trying to glean?
0: So when you when you know we know there's an object and we know there's awareness and when we're object oriented that's the predominant perception. And when we turn to recognize the awareness, then that's the, the predominant perception. There still is the object, but it is less clear what the object <coughs> is. We may know it and, and we're not we're not missing it, we're not skipping over it. It's there, it has to be there. But we're letting it be just lightly there rather than In the, in the range of our focus, so to speak. Okay? So then, we're we're perceiving the awareness more than attending to the quality of the object. The object is a concept or even the object is an experience, okay? But then, to recognize this in itself, sometimes, initially for me, it was when I asked, what is my attitude of mind? You know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just noticing what's arising, and then I go, what's my attitude of mind? And and while that question would reveal my attitude of mind, it additionally and maybe more significantly revealed the nature of mind, which is to know awareness. So by me well, for me, when I asked, what's my attitude of mind? That pointed to the ex- the recognition of awareness. An understanding, not an object. An attitude of mind can be more like an object. (coughs)
4: Yeah. Can I just check if I understood what you just said? (laughs) Kind of just just an example. uh, If I can see through that metaphor. Yeah. Of like seeing the object and and then being the and then awareness of the awareness. Yeah. Um. Could it be like object, Yeah, that's clear. And the awareness of awareness could be <laughs> as, for example, lenses. As, as what? As like glasses, of or glasses. Or the Lenses we put into the eye. Uh-huh. So I can't really like look on the lens, like the object, because it's not far enough from my eyes so I could look on it. Mm-hmm. But I realize like, Oh, I, I see clearly. So probably I have less is in mm-hmm. my in my eye. Mm-hmm. Could that be like uh, close
0: or? If that works for you, that mm-hmm. awareness is like the lens through which you're seeing.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay, that may be an accurate, you know, for now. But don't 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 try to make it appear that way every time. Because I think that awareness is subtle. You know, objects are pretty tangible, pretty noticeable in time and space, and they have a location and they have a quality. Mm -hmm. Awareness is much subtler than thoughts, feelings, moods, emotions, and intentions. Awareness is much subtler than that. And so, to give it any conceptual... Image is more than it is. You know, it, it's, it's like that. You know, the, the mind, the mind, awareness, has no size, shape, color, texture, flavor, nothing. It just is. It just is. Do you know you have a mind? Yeah. How? Well, you can't see it in the sense of its size, its shape, its color. You can't taste it, you can't smell it, you can't, you can't find out where it is. But you know there's a mind because it thinks, it feels, it knows. So there's thinking, there's feeling, and there's knowing. But so there's a mind. Right?
5: Yeah. You're up to um, <laughs> um, I had a, an experience this morning, and uh, I've had it before, but I just wanted to ask you about it. It's just, um, I was sitting and had a, uh, uh, like some moments of like real tiredness. I was kind of knocking off. Um, but then, alternately, like, and very quickly, in succession, like, a feeling of just, like, uh, like, just energy and angst, like, I just can't sit here anymore, like, um, like, I was going to explode, you know? And uh, and it would kind of, like, somehow, paradoxically, I could feel both of those things very quickly after each other. Um, but I sort of resolved to just, you know, continue sitting, and I passed. And I felt kind of, I went into a, um, just a much more calm and, and more collected state of mind after that. Um, is that you know what was going on there, or is that common? Or
0: um? well, um, I only know what you said was going on, so that's what was going on. <laughs> uh, if you're asking me what does it mean, or or is that okay? Uh, I don't know what it means. Yes, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Anything else? <laughs>
5: Uh, I just wasn't sure if there was some uh, uh, if that's a something like a precursor to being collected like I almost felt like it was like the the death throes of
0: my analytical mind like, coming down I had I had a sense that there was some extreme restlessness uh, you know the tired the tiredness that you were feeling uh, is it's not real tired it's not exhaustion tiredness it's resistance in the mind to what's coming up Okay. And so when when something's coming up that is, you know, either new or painful or scary or whatever, we get sleepy. We know we just you know, mind just just can't can't deal with it. But if you've got this resolve, like I hear you saying, there was this resolve to just be with it, be with it, be with it, you know, then you know, the, the the transition from resisting what's coming up to being aware and letting it come up. That's what that seems to be what you're going through. So that, you know, the energy of sleep, you know, the sleepiness has a lot of energy in it. And if you're not if you don't identify with it, but you become aware of it, all that energy is now available to be with whatever's you're avoiding or whatever is emerging into the mind. So my understanding is more like yeah, there was a transition from one way of seeing being with your present moment to oh, another way, <clears throat> and and rather than resisting it with the sleepiness and you know the the, the 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 restlessness of you know kind of like anxiety and, and restlessness that somehow you the oh, mm. The awareness was not caught in the judgment of the sleepiness and the anxiety, but just seeing what's happening energetically, and then it smoothed out too. Huh? Just n- not necessarily calm, but high energy smoothness. Mm-hmm. That's what you said, something like that.
7: Yeah,
0: it happens. Yeah, uh, a couple of things that I just said that I want to. Emphasize one is uh, a feeling of sleepiness as really a resistance to recognizing what's coming up. It's not. It's not ego resistance. It's just you know, it, it's it's new. It's just n- it's different. It's like you know, and and the mind just gets um, befuddled. You know, dull. It gets it gets it subjectively feels like sleepy. It's not really sleepiness. That's why you want to persevere with... Not aggressively, but just keep persevering with being with... That's the... That's the... That's that's what you're... That's the tip of the iceberg. There's more to it than that. It appears as sleepiness, but it's not really sleepiness. And then the other thing is restlessness. Restlessness feels just like you want to jump out of your skin. I mean, like you can't stand... I mean, it's not painful. It's not. It's not treating painful. It's just like you can't stand to feel it. Yeah, that's also another kind of uh, resistance or barrier to getting through energetically. Okay. Yeah, good. I mean, you know, just hang in there with you know. Oftentimes, we can't explain or we can't figure out or don't, don't have a clear even trajectory of what's going on we're just in there with being aware of stuff and it's just like <laughs> you know and then later you kind of come kind of, wow you know at the time you can't don't don't stop to try to think about what's happening just keep noticing what's happening without trying to put a, a conceptual framework put it in inside a conceptual framework
5: Um, in our small group yesterday you we were talking about the three kinds of pancha. The pancha, yeah. You mentioned um, conceit and craving and wrong view craving and wrong view. And um, the first two seem pretty self evident. Yeah. Wrong view seems like such a general uh term. So i f- first question is I'm wondering if you could explain what wrong view refers to um, in the context of Papancha, because it seems like the first two are wrong view, um, and then an um, the experience that I have frequently, I, I write music, and <clears throat> if I, you know, get get the little hook, I become aware of that I'm doing this exercise of starting to um, conceptualize music in my head. And um, if I if I allow that to happen, or if it just if it happens, it, it feels very much like a papancha, it's like I'm off on this proliferation that, that builds on itself. And, and I'm wondering what kind of papancha that would be referred to as on your students.
0: Music papancha. <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: <laughs> but uh, uh, just to kind
0: of. Uh, just to offer a brief note for everybody else, I was talking about the three ways that we identify a sense of self. Conceit, craving, and wrong view. Meaning, we get very identified with what we want, what we have, what we what we you know, crave, what we desire, what we own, what we feel is ours. And... That that gives a a kind of a solid reflection of who we think we are. And that, of course, is a kind of a... uh, It's a habit. You know, Papantya is the habits of mind, of craving. You know, we crave all kinds of things. Pleasant stuff. And and craving also includes wanting to get rid of unpleasant stuff. The second one is uh, conceit. Conceit is really the activity of comparing mind... You know, when you compare yourself with someone else, when you compare yourself with how now with how you used to be or how you want to be, or when you compare yourself to an ideal, for example, then it sets up. There's a there's a kind of a, a bifurcation of the mind that sets up. Well, in that comparison, in that comparing, there is an there is a creation of a sense of self either better than, equal to, less than, not so good as, whatever. And it's a it's a solidification in the mind based on the comparing mind. Okay? So that's another sense of that's another sense of who I am. And then the wrong view is just attributing an internal coherent entity to which to whom all this stuff is happening. Oh this is Me, it's not. It's not mine, like craving. It's not, you know. It's it's me that this is happening to. It's not from comparing mine. It's not from attachment. It's not from craving. It's from this mistaken identification as there being someone in here that is that this is happening to. So that's that's the piece. It's wrong view of personality. It's not wrong. There's many wrong views, of course. Wrong view of karma, wrong view of dukkha, wrong view of the Four Noble Truths, wrong well, There's lots of wrong views, but in this case, wrong view of sense of self. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and just for everybody else, the reason I was talking about the three papanchas, conceit, craving, and wrong view, is because the three insights, anicca, dukkha, and natta, are insights into impermanence, insight into unsatisfactoriness, insight into the anatta characteristic are what directly oppose and ultimately uproot the three papanchas. Insight into impermanence uproots or opposes, arrests the comparing mind. Because you see that whatever comparison you have now about in relation to this person, you are this you are in relation to this person or in relation to something, it changes the next moment. <laughs> just, and as soon as you see impermanence, you can't you can't get caught in comparing mind. The craving, the wanting, and seeing the pleasant, and desiring the pleasant, being identified with the pleasant, only works as long as you don't see dukkha. And as soon as you start seeing the truth of dukkha, or you start seeing the characteristic of dukkha, craving doesn't work anymore. And the same with uh, anatta. Once you start seeing the ephemeral, evanescent, uh, conditionality of stuff, of experience, you can't get identified. You can't stay identified with some seemingly solid entity here. It's just this evanescent, effervescent kind of transient mirage, really, that we're calling. So, so that's why Vipassana practice is really the seeing of these three insights, really coming to understand the characteristic of these characteristics of all phenomena. That's my wisdom talk for tonight. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm
6: wanting some clarification about awareness.
0: Oh, you're, you're wanting some clarification? Around awareness. Awareness.
6: And what you, what you just explained earlier. Um, and you said that awareness was an understanding
0: and i guess awareness of awareness
6: awareness of awareness
0: is an understanding awareness is okay, awareness. awareness itself is not just an understanding that's the experience but awareness of awareness understanding
6: okay i i, I guess um feel sort of intellectual, like an intellectual understanding as opposed to, I I guess I'm confused, as opposed to a felt sense or something that can be perceived in the meditative experience that,
1: I'm not going to say anymore. Okay. Just like that. I guess I'm wanting
0: to clarify Okay. So, are you suggesting that awareness has a feeling, felt sense? You're saying felt sense.
6: Well, I know when it's there. Right. And it feels more than just an
0: understanding. What does it feel like?
6: I... I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss to describe it. I just have a felt sense of when it arises and when it
0: passes or decreases. When it what? Decreases? Decreases. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I, I would. Uh, okay. You don't have to believe what I say, you know, just hear it and see if it works for you, fine. If it doesn't work for you, hey, this is not a dogmatic, uh, you know, test or anything. You don't have to kind of believe anything, but just look and see what, how you actually know awareness of awareness. How do you recognize awareness? Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and I know I, I know what you mean. You know, awareness of and awareness of awareness does come with a you know every experience has a vedana. <coughs> uh,
3: yeah, a fe- feeling.
0: This kind of conversation, awareness, mindfulness, same, synonymous. Definitely not the unconditioned. Awareness is not the unconditioned. Knowing is not the unconditioned. Definitely not. There's, um, uh, and the knowing, the knowing, uh, to, to, to pick up on that one. Knowing is like the activity of consciousness, which we may or may not be aware of. You know, there's knowing and there's perception. Like, what's going on when the mind, you know, wanders off in a train of thought, and you're not a, not aware of it at the time. Well, the mind is off on a train of thought. You don't know it at the time. You you don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what you're thinking about. You don't know how long you've been thinking. You don't know when you get on the train. You don't know when you get off. You don't know whether you like what you're thinking about, you don't know your posture, your age, your name, your location on earth, Mm -hmm. you don't know a friggin' thing. And yet, when that train of thought comes to an end, you can recognize all of that. You can recognize everything you were just thinking about. But you weren't aware of it at the time. So knowing was going on. But the awareness wasn't. Okay? Right? So there was a the perception the, the mind was still perceiving what was going on but there was no awareness of it so we're not so concerned with the knowing that's happening all the time what we're concerned with and cultivating is this recognition of awareness that know, that recognizes what's going what's being known and the activity of knowing that ne- neither one none of that is the unconditioned there's a lot of People, well, let me just step back and say, the way I use the word unconditioned is to refer to Nibbāna. And the way other traditions use unconditioned is different. And sometimes they seem to be saying that knowing, the knowing that's going on, is unconditioned. I
3: guess was asking, because we were saying it has no, kind of what you were asking before, it has no qualities. And it is not essentially... It's, it's, always, it's always present, and... What
0: is always present? Knowing or awareness? Or what did you mean to refer to it as always present? Yeah. Nothing is always present. But the interesting thing about awareness is if you if you have the question in mind, is awareness present? You know, it'll always be there. But awareness is not always present. Yeah? If you're looking for it, it'll always be there. But it's not always there. So sometimes that is mistaken for, you know, people say, every time I look, it's there, so it must be there all the time. <laughs> you no, <know>, it isn't. <laughs> doesn't go anywhere. Where does, the f- where does the flame go when the fire goes out? It doesn't go anywhere. The conditions for its arising cease. So the conditions for the arising of awareness cease. The awareness doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't come from anywhere. It comes due to causes and conditions. And when those causes and conditions cease, then awareness is not present. Whew! <laughs> <laughs> This is, a lot of, this is a lot of theory from the Theravada view of things. Don't, don't get too bogged down in it, but if it's helpful, good. If it's not,
4: you're talking about like resolve or intentions to push through the hindrances to get to more, to have more awareness, right? Yeah. So um, it sounds like it's a lot of questions, like like questioning. That's like that's what brings up awareness, or is it more like a prayer, or like how what, how do you set an intention?
0: Okay, so we're talking about intention, aspiration, setting an intention, uh, and uh, what uh, there's a few, we're, we're overlapping some different things here. Aspiration, intention, motivation, uh, things like that. They're they're overlapping. There's some there's some commonality between them, but not exclusive. So I would say something like, "Well, the aspiration to awaken." is a recognition of a direction that you want to go. And strongly acknowledging that aspiration to say, I want to go in that direction. It, it it's, not, it's not a goal to be reached. It's not an experience to hang on to, to kind of get to. It's more like, I want to awaken. In any moment, you can reorient yourself to awakening. Boom, right then, in that moment. So... That's aspirational. Intention is, there's two things. Intention, there's motivation. What is the intention to do something? Why do you shift your posture, you know, when there's pain in the body? Well, what's the motivation for that? Well, relief. Oh, so we could say, oh, the intention in moving is to get some relief. But there's another thing, another experience that we call intention, and it's chaitana. It's the mental factor of chaitana which is the impulse in the mind before before we do anything. You know, before you before you reach to scratch an itch, there's an impulse in the mind that says, you know, go scratch that itch. But if you're paying atten- attention to intentions, then you can see that impulse in the mind arise and you don't follow it because awareness has recognized it and didn't let it condition the actual movement. So you might, you know, you're sitting there and you, you go like that and you, your, your hand was about to reach to scratch an itch, but you saw the impulse in the mind. It might move the body just that much, just… but you don't follow through, because you see it, you recognize it. So being able to recognize our intentions before movements before shifting postures, before turning, before reaching, and eventually before thinking, ooh, then you're really, you're really very continuously aware of the body. Uh, you know, the body, the body's movement. Yeah. The body doesn't move without intention, other than you know the the, the, the digestive processes and the processes of, of life that, that happen. That's one thing. But other than that, you know, the 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 kind of the rhythmic stuff you can get into sometimes, and the swaying and stuff like that, that's all intentional, even though you may not recognize the intention to do that. So. Subtle. Was that, was that helpful? Mm-hmm. So, the the prayer, you said something about a prayer. I'm, I'm not sure what that was in reference to.
4: Well, like, um, you're saying it's just awareness. I guess what I hear you saying is like... To, to become aware of awareness or more so it's, mm-hmm. you're asking a lot of questions like what is this like what's happening in the mind and, and so that seems different to me than like setting an intention like to sit through something or, or, yeah like it's almost like to me that it's I'm more of a verbal person maybe that I would, mm-hmm. I would be saying this to mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. Uh,
0: The questioning part is it's not like we need to ask a lot of questions the, the, any question is just to kind of remind us to look. To, you know, and it's not like you have to have a lot of questions. You can just take one question. just what? What's this? And that's enough. So, but if you're if you're bogged down, if you're stuck, if you're if stuff is coming up and you're not, you don't know what's coming up, then there, there might be it might be useful to ask some questions to help help you clarify that. But you know, the the, the practice of awareness is not primarily asking questions. You know, it's just observing. It's just observing and knowing. Recognizing, remembering to recognize. But sometimes asking a question can support the continuity of that remembering to recognize. And, you know, it might be a prayer. You know, it might be, you know, may I, or like a, like a loving kindness, may I, blah, 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 blah. May I be continuously aware for the next 45 minutes while sitting that's good that's a good you know aspirational intentional um, you know kind of setting of the mind we call it resolve you know actually in, in this place in practice where you stop, you stop using intention you know your your effort and intention to make things happen and you start developing the power of resolve because the mind is pure and it'll do what you, ta- you ask it to do if it's wholesome. And then that's, that's a whole other section of development of momentum and practice using resolve or times
7: <laughs> Yeah. Let's say that you're worried about something, you know, like you're going to miss your connecting flight or something like that, and you're aware of that. How does that help you to resolve within yourself the... You know the anxiety that you have, that, as a result of that.
0: Sure. So when you become aware that, oh my God, I might, I might miss the flight. It's like I'm a little bit late checking in, and <coughs> da, 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 you know, and then you got some anxiety. You know what? The anxiety doesn't doesn't solve anything. You know, you could you could recognize it and say, well. I'll try to get to the gate on time, but maybe maybe I won't make it. It's like see You know, the anxiety is just the suffering part, isn't it? You know, whether you make it to the gate on time or not, you don't have to be anxious about it. You can just check it out, and see if you get there. But we do we do have these I you know desires to make the flight. And so we get anxious. If you become aware of anxiety, and you go, Oh, I'm anxious, you know. I don't have to treat this ticket agent badly. I don't have to kind of, you know, demand that I get through the fast security line quicker. (laughs) I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be that kind of like aggressive. I can just know, wow, I'm really anxious. Let me just, let me just move fast, carefully and with awareness rather than carelessly because I want what I want. Is that helpful? The other thing is, you know, plan. We were talking about planning this. <laughs> 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 but I know sometimes the connecting flight is late getting in and you gotta, you know, you gotta get from one gate to another it can be a long ways and it's like, well, you might just well put on your high speed awareness and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last question.
7: Well, I'm glad you told us that you were a slow learner. Oh, um, so slow. To be open <coughs> with that. Um, I have had some experience where I, I think you described it as the mind, as the awareness brightened, where I could just see so much was happening. Yeah. Um. Much of the time, though, I am uh, really uh, desperate to find something to be curious about, okay? and um, and I and I suspect that it's because I haven't had enough continual um, uh, remembering to recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I will. Uh, I'll continue down that path. But I wanted to say, if you, if that is of any, if there's, I know everything is in the book, and you told us everything, and uh, it's like uh, now you just have to implement, and that's the part that I'm told. So, uh,
0: the one piece you left out that I will offer you <laughs> is things change. <laughs> All right. mean, meaning, meaning. Yeah, sometimes conditions come together and there's this clarity and understanding and confidence and it's just smooth and it's like, wow, man, I hope it stays like this forever. Guess what? You know, the next sitting you come in, it's like, jeez, you know, the body is achy and tired and the mind is mud and it's just like, what happened? Things changed. You know, not your fault. You didn't you didn't do anything to do that. It's just conditions change. They're they're unreliable. And they're not under our control. Because we think they should be under our control, this is the wrong view of self. You no, know, I should be able to control my mind. I should be able to control my thoughts. I should be able to control my emotions. No, you can't. That's 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 wrong view. That's wrong understanding. We get there. The mind can be trained. It's true, but we can't control it, huh? Okay. So sometimes you can have, you know, we come in, we have a great sitting with a lot of clarity, confidence. And other times you come in, do the same thing, sit in the same way, same time of day, same meal for breakfast, everything, and it's a pit. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Mindfulness, uh, Awareness and development of wisdom is not about trying to get to some steady state that we can access anytime we want, but it's rather being able and willing to be aware of and understand anything that arises at any time.
6: Right? right. Okay.
3: Thank you for
1: listening.